You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, yeah, we have many things to be thankful for. It was, you know, it was a good one. Health and happiness, the whole the whole shebang. Travis then, is all good now. Like, do you guys? I'm sure, I'm assuming you do fairly regular checkups on all that. We only have to do it uh, once a year now. Oh wow! Or, yeah, he got a, you know, his surgery worked, so he's. Uh, you just got the clean bill of health. He still has, yeah he has a clean bill of health. He still has a lumpy head. Um, <laughs> he should never ever go bald. Um, and the, that's a feature, not a bug. A feature, not a bug. And yeah, and the other feature, not a bug, is that we now have a doctor who has given my wife uh, the note that says he's never allowed to play football. Oh. I mean, I talked to him. He's like, he could, but, you know, he probably shouldn't. You know, he's had a, you know, he's had a wonky head. Yeah, enough, enough cranial trauma. Yeah, he's already had enough cranial trauma in his life, so... But you know, we'll, have, we'll just have to play hockey. And we'll see how that works. So, Actually, I'm not doing. We're not going to teach him to play hockey because that is some early, early times. And Daddy likes to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daddy is that is that terrible? He cares about his sleep more than his children. Football was the one thing he was ruled out of because hockey's pretty physical. Yeah, it is. But it's uh, what it is. It's the repeated stress of it. Like you keep like it's still physical, but he and he's honestly like look. He's at no more risk than anyone else, but you just worry in football with the collisions. Yep. And high school hockey, it's, it's non-checking. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, you're not allowed to check until they... So they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you could probably do it. You know, he wouldn't recommend it, but he's like, you could probably get by on that one. Football is different because it's truly contact. Yeah. So if you got a bad skull, you know... But yes, he does have a complete... Uh, um, uh, uh, clean bill of health. So that'll be, you know, that's pretty cool. That's great news. Yeah, we're all very, you know, and so we're all very proud of them. So it all makes our makes everything a little bit nicer because <clears throat> yeah, everybody's all before concern. It was a big deal, and now it's just like a thing. And it's it's funny how things just so quickly become, oh, it's, you know, just another thing. Who cares? That is true. You know. Speaking of just another thing, I've reached that point with the, the loss to Texas A&M. It is now I just have, another thing. I have to. You know, I, I'm... Now it's more of an academic... To, you know, it, it's... Today was more of an academic discussion just because I found it in, the, the call thing interesting not so much anything about it um uh, you know i i thought you you had the best point in in our roundup it's like if that's what it takes for a&m to finally beat lsu okay they can have their one year win a decade (laughs) that was my solace 
And I, it really is. I, I mean, they needed... If you need everything to go right to finally beat LSU, it's kind of hard to thump your chest over that one. And it looks like we might go to the Fiesta Bowl anyway. <laughs> I know. I was so, so pleased. Like, I, I saw, you know, Jake and others making that argument over the weekend, and I was like, nah, not going to happen. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's over. And, yeah, the college football playoff poll came out number 10. Basically, they said – basically, the playoff committee said, yeah, we saw that you lost, and we have to treat it like a loss – but that loss was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And They've been uh, keen on us all year, really. They have been, but that that really felt like redemption. That really felt like, you know what? That was bullshit, and we're not going to count it the whole way as a full loss. You have two and a half losses. So thank you, Playoff Committee. And, oh, by the way, this is the Sneaky Good Podcast, where you can get all your news about LSU football, arcane rules, and my son's head. <laughs> I'm Poser. That's Dan. that for uh, marketing purposes, keeping LSU high lets them leverage Bama, Georgia a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's true. That helps. Um, yeah. I, I do think... I think that works. I also think it's just... There's just not many other teams out there. I mean, you look at who's behind. I think Washington State's getting screwed, but they played a terrible out-of-conference schedule. Yes. The other team behind us is Penn State, and I don't really feel bad about that. I mean, you look at the teams that are behind LSU, and you're kind of like, meh. I mean, there's Texas, but Texas is going to get in anyway, so we're not keeping them out. I was trying to think of... Penn State didn't really have a marquee win this year, like... They beat, no, not, I felt like they beat everyone that they should and lost to all the teams that were better. Yeah, than I them. think that's exact. And they're going to play Mississippi State, who did the same exact thing. Yeah, uh, if they are lined up perfectly for the Citrus Bowl, and that's a great Citrus Bowl matchup. They you almost know, beat Ohio State, which doesn't look so sexy. Yeah, no, it doesn't. But no, I think you look at it, there's just not a whole lot of other options for the New Year's Six Bowl, and. If they can luck into the LSU-Michigan game, I mean, the Fiesta Bowl would throw a party over that. Are they, uh, well, I, see, I want to play UCF. I know everyone else is against me in this. No, I, I, they want to put UCF against Florida. You know, it's a local matchup. Florida doesn't travel. Yeah, UCF is. will have a bigger, will have the bigger crowd. It's the, it, it adds a little bit of something to the game. Yep. Um, I, I think that's the one they want to put it in. You know. And also, when you're looking at what games we can put together, Michigan and LSU are the two programs with the most amount of wins who have never played each other. There's your trivia of the day. Um, yeah, it's absurd that we haven't. And, and so, I, it, it, and also, considering the SEC and the Big Ten match up in bowl games all the time, 
And yeah. honestly, LSU and Michigan have almost the same amount of wins over the past three or four seasons. It is amazing we haven't played. Talk about that would be a bowl game that finishes like three to zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would definitely be a three nothing game. But I think that's what we're headed for. Um, the only way I think it doesn't happen, um, I think if if Northwe- Northwestern beats Ohio State, it starts throwing things into question. So, so why, why is Texas written in for sure? Well, because the Big Twelve. Okay, here's what happens with the um, with the balls. Let's say Oklahoma wins. Yes. All right. Oklahoma wins. They go, and let's say that puts them in the playoff. Mm-hmm. They go to the playoff. That promotes Texas into the uh, um, New York uh, New Year Six because the Big Twelve is guaranteed another team. Uh, uh, they have they have an uh, explicit tie in like we do with the Sugar. I see. I see. So they would get the Texas replacement. If Texas wins, obviously they're in. The only way they don't get in. Uh, Texas doesn't get in is if Ohio State and Oklahoma both win and Ohio State goes to the playoffs. But then at that point, we already had Ohio State win, so it kicked. We already got rid of the Northwestern problem. So, and you just think that they would put Texas over West Virginia? Yeah, it, it could be Texas or West Virginia, but from our perspective, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I think they take. I don't know their rules because I know for us it's the highest ranked team. I don't want to say what the Big 12 rules is. It might be the other team in the championship game because of how they do their championship. You know, how they don't have divisions. Yes. So it might be that the number two team automatically would go. Gotcha. It might, it might be the highest ranked team. I honestly don't know the Big 12 rules. I don't know if anybody has followed Texas's season that closely, but I'm just looking at their resume. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Texas they, is happening. Lost to Maryland, who's terrible. Yes. They thumped yep. USC, who didn't make a bowl. They beat Kansas State by five. Kansas State yes. didn't make a bowl. They beat Baylor by six. Baylor yes. is barely bowl out. Hey, they over. beat Texas Tech in the last game. They they, they fired Coach Bro. <laughs> they lost to Second. West Virginia. That's probably the – that and beating OU are probably the two best things they did all year. And also, the funny thing is now people say, oh, well, they beat OU by three. They killed OU. Remember, they were up by like 24, 20, you know, 28 yeah, they points. they almost gave it away. It almost gave it away. I mean, that three-point win is very misleading. I mean, I know at the end of the day it's a three-point win, but Texas destroyed Oklahoma. And then Oklahoma made a late comeback, and it almost worked. I mean, I mean they almost gagged on it. It was really a very LSU kind of game. Uh, <laughs> I feel very much about the 2019 Texas game the way I felt about Miami this year, which is – Miami was very overhyped, and they were a solid team, but I felt pretty yeah, confident think, that we could handle them, and I feel very confident that we can handle yeah, Texas. I, I agree. Also, I, th- I don't think Ellinger is that good. No, uh, exactly. I think that, same thing with like Malik Rozier. They were like, he's not that good. Ellinger has talent. I think he has more talent than Rozier, but God, yeah. since I, li- I live here, kind of watch, a, I don't want to say a lot of Texas football, but I watch my fair share, that guy makes the worst decision. I mean, he is he is the prototypical $10 million arm and 10-cent head. <laughs> he is w- one of the worst decision makers I've ever seen. He's gotten better this year, but God. I will say their Iowa State game was impressive. You know, yeah. They needed that. Iowa State's a good team, and they beat them 
pretty soundly. Yeah, it's hard to condition yourself I, to admitting Iowa State is a good team. Like you, when you glance past the resume, you're like, yeah, "Oh yeah, I, Iowa State, big deal." But yeah, you're right. No, but I do think it'd be funny is if LSU ends up going to the Fiesta Bowl, which I think looks likely. I don't want to say, I don't want to say probable. I don't want to, you know, how about over fifty percent? But that's about as far as I'll go. If we still go to the Fiesta Bowl after losing to A and M, then that just becomes the greatest troll of all time. Because then A and M can say, you know, we beat you, and you're like, yes, you needed three or four miracle plays, two or three atrocious calls, seven overtimes, and we still went to the Fiesta Bowl. So good job, thanks for nothing. <laughs> it didn't even matter. I, I mean, it would be beautiful. Um, and so I don't know. I think you know, you know, we've it's kind of getting beaten to death at the site, and I can understand because it's. It's going to be one of those games. It's going to go down in lore. Yep. The, seven, the seven overtime game is – it's remarkable. And I didn't write a box score column this week because a box score of a seven overtime game is, in, is just inherently meaningless. Um, but I would like to point out that neither quarterback th- threw for 300 yards in a seven overtime game. And that's almost impossible. I thought Burrow got there. Did he? I mean, if he did, it's like narrowly. I thought it was like 280. Hang on, let me check to make sure of that. I thought he was just shy. I know Mond for sure did not. Nope, yep, Burrow's at 270, Mond's at 287. Okay. Uh, that is... That's shocking. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Spencer was, Hall had a good tweet about that, about like laughing at all the Big 12 bros showing up to be like, See and you SEC guys act like this is no fun. It's like it took us seven quarters, like seven overtimes to get like a regular Big 12 score. Yeah, and also it kind of wasn't – like towards the end of it, it was just like let this game end. Yeah. Um, it, 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 let's approach it like as an – let's forget about all the calls. Uh, it's, we'll talk about it in a second, but let's forget about all the calls. In the overtime, my biggest complaint is I felt that Orgeron – couldn't let go. I think he was still stuck in regulation, mad about that he was still playing. And it was almost like he was playing for a tie, which you can't have in overtime. And he weirdly got timid. Like, in two overtime, in the second overtime, when you're going second and you score, and this is a huge hobby horse of mine, you should always go for two in that situation. Yeah, because at that point the defenses are trash, everyone's tired, and it's just going to come down to making your two point conversions because you're going to have to go for two from that point on for the rest of the game. At least this way, you get to go for two, and the other team can't respond. It is the best chance you will have to win the game. Period. It, if you score a touchdown, and he and he just and you could tell he kind of wanted to, but. It was so hard for us to score that he just kind of lost his nerve. So, okay, I'll give him that one. But quadruple overtime, they get down to like the five or the six-yard line on the Foster Moreau pass. And then what was that? It was those three middle runs. It it was like they had no chance of working. Yeah, I don't know. I, I saw you, you know, tweeting about this. I don't know if I would say timid, but I could see that argument. I felt like he was co- he was coaching it like he was coaching it like he coaches most of our games, which is let the offense do just enough and then let our defense win the game. 
That's exactly right, what he was doing, but there was no defense. <laughs> yeah, but it, while the defense is like wilting away in front of his very eyes, it's just like, yeah, come yeah. on. And, and people were blaming the defense, and I'm like, it's quadruple overtime. Yeah, oh yeah. Ready to die. Like, at this point, I'm stunned if you get a stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, that late, I'm like, fuck that. Like, dude, I don't blame the defense at all. Richard Lawrence and, is like dying out there. And they held him to a field goal. So at that point, you have got to score a touchdown. Yeah. And they had so many chances to win the game. And I think, and also, look, even if that final drive, which was helped, you know, by multiple controversial calls, 12 plays, 75 yards, a minute 38. That That's terrible. You just can't have that. I, I don't care how many bad calls there are. The final touchdown... Knock the ball down. They had one shot at the end zone. You couldn't knock it down. You let them have 12 plays in a minute 38 and drive essentially 80 yards to score a touchdown. Yeah, it's clearly lack of focus after you think you have it wrapped up. I mean, it sucks. I agree. I agree. And it's hard for me to blame them on that because let's even go, you know, I'm because I'm, as you can tell, I keep punting the calls issues. I'm trying to talk about everything else and treat it like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about the calls and I don't really want to talk about the fight. (laughs) I I at least want to mention the calls, but we'll get, okay. Let's assume every call is correct. A hundred percent correct. All right. Well, let's just assume it for the sake of argument. Sure. Even then it's, it was just, it's, I can't believe else you could keep playing. They literally thought they had won the game three times. Yeah. There's only so many times you can do that emotionally and keep playing football. No doubt, like, yeah. Like, and this is if every every call is correct. It, it, it's almost too cruel to make them keep playing. At that, there just comes a point you just... Football, I, I always argue football is an emotional game, but also just from a point of like adrenaline and the endorphins going through your body... LSU thought they had won and had checked out of the game. They had won. They, you know, the defensive coaches left the box. Yep. Only to bring them back in. And, and it's just, there's only, and, you know, we say, and I think Billy had this point where they say, well, you know, people are saying, hey, defense made a play. They did make a play. They made a th- play three times, and each yeah. time it was taken from them. I think it's a pretty good point. If you're the defense, you're like, what else do we have to do? And I don't know. And that's even assuming every call is correct. It, it, it's just so hard emotionally. I can't believe they made it seven overtimes. I, you know, most teams, you know, would have died after one. Just like I can't believe we're in this shit. Yeah, they showed some resiliency to recover from that just slew of bad luck, <clears throat> bad calls, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. And as for the bad calls, this. The SEC released a statement today. The officials came out. They pretty much defended every call, which is what you would expect them to do. Except for really the greedy pass interference at the end of the game. They pretty much admitted that was a bad call. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I think think his exact statement was, it's technically pass interference, but I would like to see our officials use a little bit more discretion. That's official code for it. That's a terrible call. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did note... On the Mond fumble, they did use the word control. They said, you know, he had control of the football with his knee down. Um, I disagree. And I think that's – but at least the ref is talking about the right issue. Um, it's 
And I think a lot of people's opinion of it is shaped by the announcers in the game. The announcer's like, oh, if you're touching the football, that's possession, and it's not. Um, I think the issue is whether... And then later on, the Sternberger uh, fumble, they said that he never tucked it... Shaw said he never tucked it away. That call is the worst to me. Yeah, I I have a really hard time with it. Like, he tucked it away. He He pulled it across his damn body and put it into his other hand. Yeah. And then took two steps. He caught it at his head and brought it down to his hip. I don't know how much more. Yeah, like it's just just a terrible call. But also, I think the the, the standard of review comes in to play. You know, it has to be indisputable evidence. But also, look at the reaction of the players in the field on both of those plays. Yeah, when Mond fumbled the ball, not a single LSU player reacted as if the play was dead. Not even for a half second. There wasn't, a, you know, a player pointing like, "Oh my God!" You know, the, you know, his knees down. There wasn't even like a slight pull up. Mond didn't have that, you know, kind of jerky motion of, "Hey, I got away with something." Everyone played that play as if nothing had happened because I think to all the players, no one thought anything had. Yeah. Sternberger, when he fumbled the ball, he got down on his knees and banged his hands in the turf. He knew he fumbled. Yeah. And I, I think players will tell you the truth by their act, you know, their actions. I how they reacted to the play as it was happening tells you a lot. And yeah, I, I think LSU mainly I, the reason I kind of harp on the Mond fumble is I think if you think the Sternberger reception was good, I mean you know, it was a it wasn't a good reception, then Every argument you use cuts against overruling the Mond play. If you see what I'm saying, like any argument you would use, you can then apply to the Mond fumble earlier. You can't have them both. Yeah. But I agree with you. That fumble was terrible. I mean, the Sternberger clearly fumbled the football. And I, I think that's the one that really broke LSU. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I don't. It, it, it's just my two biggest objections were that call. I thought it was terrible. The fact that they didn't review it because they, I guess, they can't review. It? I don't know. Whatever they said, it was not. Re- you know, because an incompletion is not re- uh, the fumble is not reviewable. But that's bullshit because there's the whole immediate recovery rule. Yeah, and also if you watch the game, and I made myself rewatch it. The officials hadn't blown their whistles yet. Yeah. They didn't they didn't blow the play dead until after he recovered it. It wasn't like tweet, tweet, then recovery. He scoops it up, takes a couple steps, and then comes the whistles. Yeah, like there's it wasn't like the incompletion call prevented a recovery. And it just the the judicious nature of when they chose to review things and when they chose to like I don't know. Yeah, it it, it, it just all it, it made it feel conspiratorial. But I agree that it's not. It's just I don't some, think it's conspiratorial. I will say, in the back of their minds, somewhere, right? And I don't think it's conscious. I think this is more subconscious. The SEC refs are pretty pissed at LSU for the whole Devin White shit. <laughs> James Carville on national TV calling out the SEC as a corrupt organization particularly the officials, is not going to get us any calls in the near future. 
I wouldn't even go there. I didn't even think about that. But. No, and I don't. And I don't think the. I don't think a ref is sitting there going, "I'm going to get LSU." I, I don't think that at all. But you'd have to be a pretty remarkable person for that not to cloud your judgment at least a little bit on a subconscious level, because they've pretty much attacked your integrity. That's true. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. Because remember, most bias is unconscious. That's definitely true. Yeah, I do not think there's an SEC conspiracy. I, I I agree with you on that. That's ridiculous. And besides, if there was an SEC conspiracy, they would have wanted LSU to win. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to screw LSU in this context. Yeah, in this context, it makes no sense. But I do think the officials right now. I think right now the officials are pretty pissed at LSU. Behind, I'd be shocked if behind closed doors they are not whining to Sankey about our campaign during ESPN game day (laughs) (laughs) in which we essentially call the SEC officials corrupt. We're talking about the damn calls. Yeah, we are. Okay. So that's it for the calls. I I promise. That's it. We're we're done. Let's get to the fight. (laughs) I don't even want to talk about the fight either. Neither do I. Um, so let's talk about the happiest man. Fuck in the fight. <laughs> let's uh, talk about the happiest man in Baton Rouge. Oh my Jonathan god. Jobs. No, let's talk about. Okay, we had a. I. Well, do you really want to talk about Jonathan Giles? Because we can. No, I, I do want to say like that was the turning point of the game. Jesus, he lost the game for us. <laughs> he did. He did lose the game. If at that point Texas A and M hadn't had a first down in the second half, LSU had flipped the script because normally we're trailing. Normally LSU builds a huge lead and then hangs on for dear life. Oh, yeah. In this game, LSU was down at halftime. They played a pretty crappy first half. Yeah. And then rallied back, scored, took the lead, and it really looked like the machine had just started to get going. It looked like LSU was about to just maul A&M. And that fumble really did change the whole complexion of the game. So that was frustrating because it would have been nice had LSU won a game in a different manner because all season long it's been first half domination coupled with second half meh, like just running out the clock for 30 minutes. This was a game in which they showed the ability to rally. They were down at the half, came back, looked like they were going to put the game away, and then... Then it came apart. See, these are the types of decisions, if you were one to not be a fan of the Ogeron era, yes, to make you question, because this was not the first, second, or even third time Giles has fumbled one of those punts. Yeah, I, And he's been fortunate to recover them each time this year. Yes. But it's like, what? And he, what we hear, he's the sure-handed guy. How? It's like how? Yeah, there there has to be somebody on that damn sideline that can catch a punt. Like even if it's greedy, and you're like, you catch every punt and you fair catch every single punt, and that's all you do. You yeah, know, you're never going to return. I don't care how wide open it looks. Well, also you have eight wide receivers that play. Yeah, one of them's got to be able to return. Somebody punt. on that sideline, like D. Anderson, can't return punts. I'm not even asking because I don't want Justin Jefferson doing it because he's he's kind of the franchise now. Somehow. Yeah, I know. But he's the number one receiver. And I really don't want either of the freshmen. I don't want Marshall or Chase out there because I want them 
you know, concentrating on becoming better wide receivers. But of those juniors, tell me, D. Anderson can't return one of those things. Yeah. Dylan can't can't get back there. Yeah, Dylan seems like the perfect guy. Yeah, uh, um, I. The only way I can justify it, and I think this is reaching, but I'm I'm going to try, is Giles was billed as you know this great player. You know, he was a Blitnikoff finalist. They got him the transfer from Texas Tech. It was a big deal getting him. Oh, yeah. Sat out the entire year, and it's been a disaster all year. And they stripped him of the number seven. Um, you know, he's. you could tell early, even in this game, they were forcing him the ball uh, in the pass in the pass offense. This was kind the kind of thing of like, we're just going to have him keep returning punts because we're trying to show some confidence in the guy. We're trying to rebuild because he's a junior. And he's going to be back next year because I can't imagine him transferring because you already did that once. Yeah, I, mean, I thought of I saw someone mention that. I, just... I mean, but transferring twice in one career, I just don't see it happening. And, you know, he's not going to go pro. So he's coming back and so there's kind of an element of okay let's we're looking for next year we need to give this guy something positive if we take everything away from him we might totally lose him let's keep him on punt returns how much damage can he do and (laughs) that much damage (laughs) it is I think they have to be scratching their heads at just what happened because it, it also yes he was very hyped just from a pure like oh he was a Big t- like he did a lot at Texas Tech, and they gave him the seven. But he earned some of that stuff too by being good yeah. at practice here. You know, yeah. And also, players love him. He's a popular guy on the camp. And yeah, it's, and it's hard. defends him all the time. Like he's a great kid. He's a great kid. He's a great kid. He said that so many times this year. And, and I don't doubt it. I bet you he yeah. is a great kid. And you know, he. So there is something to be said for you. Just have to keep him involved because you want to have him for next year. Because he's going to be part of the team, and you want to have get something out of him. But man, what a what a bad time to get caught! And, and he wasn't even close. Like there has to be a point where he knows, hey, I'm just going to get away from this. Yeah, just just walk away. I mean, this wasn't like the punt came, hit him in the arms, and he just dropped the punt. He, he kind of dove at a punt. He you know he wasn't going to catch that. He kind of he, he does that a lot. It's weird. Oh. Like he's like he can't judge it in the air. Oh, I don't know. It, it was bad. So, but yeah, that poor kid. Like he just got the football equivalent of the yips. I think. Like it was. Yeah, he did. It, it just became well, mental. Well, what's funny is, is that Orgeron really had a good year with transfers. Like there were so many holes in the roster. He plugged with JUCOs and transfers. In the A and M game, it was two transfers who killed him. Because Giles was, you know, with the big fumble and. Terrence Alexander, I really don't want to blame him because he's third string. He was kind of forced into duty by injuries. But once A&M realized that he couldn't cover anybody, I, they destroyed him. Over yeah. time, he is in every highlight in overtime. If you ever had the thought this year, where is Terrence Alexander? You, yeah. You had that answered for you on Saturday. Yeah. It also lets you know how important getting Fulton on the field was. Yeah. Because I cannot imagine a full seat. He wouldn't have started because Kerry Vincent would have. But And also, like we got hurt because we had so many injuries at safety. We couldn't put Jacoby Stevens in at, at corner because both Harris and Battle were out. <laughs> yeah, it was 
There was a lot of reason to like be scared of this game before the I mean, game. Well, Harris I played some in the game, but then disappeared. Yep. So I think he got hurt in the game. So you know, you're you're not just down start. You know, two of your starters. You're down Harrison Battle. So you're down two on the depth chart there. You know, you're down Vincent and Fulton. So you're down two in the. You're looking at third stringers coming, in, and it's okay when you have Jacoby Stevens being essentially the nickel becoming your your safety. So, you know, big whoop because Jacoby Stevens is great. But you couldn't move Jacoby Stevens to corner when Alexander's getting burned once Vincent got pulled out of the game because then no one could play safety. Yeah. I mean, that was – LSU, we mentioned it before the season that LSU had a very thin secondary. I mean, they had great starters but not much depth. This was the first game where that depth really played. Yeah, it was. I mean – Every other game, I guess we got sizable enough leads that wear and tear didn't get to come into it. Yeah, and also guys have been healthy most of them, but once they were down two starters, I mean, yeah, then they had two guys nicked up in the game. It was it was over. Like that's from a football standpoint, and this is look, this is part of fair play of football. Guys get hurt, and also kudos to A and M because Kellen Mond was having a terrible game um, up until late in the fourth quarter, and he completely transformed his game by essentially just throwing a terrorist, uh, identifying where Alexander was and throwing at him on every play. That's such a Jimbo Fisher thing, too. Yeah. You know, that's... I had a thought today, which kind of irritates me, is... I agree. It was a smart tactic. It didn't feel like we ever did shit like that this year. Which is irritating. It's like... we We didn't identify weaknesses and then just, like, hammer them. Yes, I agree. And it, I, there are parts of the Ensminger offense that I actually enjoy, one of which is that we spread the ball a lot. Every game, yeah. everybody's touching the ball. And I like I that, and I think that makes you have a better offense. But there is a time when you – I think it is, like, great to be diplomatic when you start the game. But when you start to see, like, oh, that guy can't hang with the, with our guy, yeah. then yeah. You, diplomacy goes out the window and you're just, like, hammering. Yeah, because uh... – I don't want to take anything away from Kendrick Rogers, who was awesome in the overtime periods. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He um, had some great catches. But Kendrick Rogers was partially awesome because he was being covered by Terrence Alexander. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember at some point you're like, when the fuck are they just going to put Greedy on him? <laughs> like, well, they did. They rotated, and then they threw at Courtney Davis. Yeah. I mean, they, they picked up on it almost right away. Oh, yeah, of course. They got, like, one play away from it, but not many. So, uh, yeah, it was – really a frustrating game um a frustrating game from a tactical standpoint because yeah i do think honestly i thought after some rough bits in the first quarter i thought else played a pretty good offensive game they looked really bad at first and then you know kind of got going like uh, um if you look at their drive chart you know after those two opening three and outs you know they were terrible yeah. Then 12 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 10 plays, 44 yards, missed field goal. 12 plays, 36 yards, field goal. 15 plays, 90 yards, touchdown. That's, you know, four straight drives where they score 17 points and miss another field goal, but all of them over 10 plays. That is an, you know, they really turned it around there, and then the fumble, and then it just, you know, they kind of went back to crap. <laughs> And, Not that yeah, this they, is uh, some scholarly observation, but 
our offense truly is at its best in 2018 when Burrow can run. When Burrow's yes. running, our offense is just it's better. It opens up our yeah. game for our backs. Burrow seems to be a little more confident and relaxed when he gets to run. I mean, I guess, you know, for depth reasons, they, they couldn't run him 25 times a game like they did against A&M, but... Yeah. God, it makes a mark, like a remarkable difference in the way we perform when he's running. Yeah, he, he really is. And it shows the potential for an extra... I think Burrow really put his foot down and really showed that he... There's something to be excited about next year. Yeah. You know, whether we're start. Burrow... And also, like, remember earlier in the year we were talking – he had like a 50, 51% completion percentage. He finishes the year at 58%. While not you – know, that's not going to set any records. That's pretty good. I mean that – particularly from where he started. You know, he had a – his last three games, he was over 60% in all of them. And he had 70% in the last – in the two before this one. Yeah. You know, once he, once he stopped playing Alabama on defense – he turned into a pretty good quarterback, and I think that's what he needed. He needed a couple of games against just normal teams to find his footing. Yeah, it's one of those things where we've talked about on the blog before, and I'm sure on here, just you know, players have those moments sometimes where the lights just start to come on. Yeah. And I, I think we've sort of felt that way about Burrow all year. It's like you can kind of see it happen, and then it goes away. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but, yeah, it feels like he's finding it now. But also, it felt like he had a run of games here. Like, every these last, it wasn't like this was an outlier game. He played really well the last two games as well. Actually, yeah. the last three. And so now he's put together four straight games down the stretch where he, that potential is being delivered on. And I, I think things, between, if next year you give him a running game, if, you know, and look, Leonard Fournette, you know, suddenly was great against A and M. I don't want to say great, but he was the only guy who who looked like he could run against them. Yeah, where did he come from? But also, you know, you get a, um, you know, you get Emery next year, who they need right away to be a big runner. I, I think that's the key to next season. Yeah, him and Tyrion Davis. Yeah. Do you have – you need a freshman running back to be good and not just good. You need them to be very good right away. Yes. I'm surprised you're harping on that so much. LSU needs a running a running back on this one. It, Brissett and Edwards Elair, they're both solid, but the lack of it's, – it's the lack of big playability in the running game. They just can't break one. Yeah, which is interesting because Brissett literally started the season breaking a game open with the big run. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah, Brissett had it early, and then since then, and also like their average yards per carry, they're both like right below four yards. They just well, let's see. I have CFB stats has Brissett at four three seven, which is not very good. Uh, okay, yeah, and Edwards Hilaire is four point six, which is also not not. Yeah, it's okay, but it's, it's just yeah, okay. But honestly, what gets you the big yardage, you know, the big averages, is busting a few. Yeah. You know, if you go, you know, four, three, four, two, fifty, <laughs> that fifty <laughs> helps your average a ton. And I don't think Brosette and Edwards Elair are bad players. I think they're good SEC backs. 
but for the kind of offense LSU runs, we need, if not an elite back, we still need somebody who can contend for all SEC. Is that... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what I go back to is that we had those backs, and it didn't seem to make a huge difference for us. Well, yeah, but then you have the problem with no pass. I'm, I'm pairing it with Burrow. Yeah. I'm saying we have the quarterback. You need to give him something. And, yeah, we don't need the running back. We don't need Leonard Fournette. I agree with that. But we do need Jeremy Hill. Or, hell, even, you know, you know Vincent. We need Spencer Ware. We need a running back of that caliber. I guess where I come, like, so Burrow, so you have more confidence in Burrow than you did in, like, Etling or Harris? Because, I mean, the numbers are equivocal. Yeah, I do. I, I just, you can just, you know, and this is kind of one of the equivalent not observational. <laughs> he just looks better than okay. they did. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, um, but you can see the potential a lot more. And also, he really did start to turn around at the end of the year. Like, he's he, – he is – I think he does have better numbers than those guys did. You know, Etling, you know, I admit, just really – you know, he's like right kind of at the perfect – he was a guy who's definitely at the maximum of his talent. I think, you know, you could tell him maxing out. And right now I still think Etling has better numbers – than uh, um, Burrow did. But, like, Harris... I mean, Harris completed 50... You know, on his career, completed 54... I mean, Burrow's now on his career at 50, you know, 57 and a half. But also, you can see the improvement. He started... You know, his, his game started to get better. You, you can kind of look at a first half of the season and the second half of the season, which is kind of why I have more confidence in it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you, it's more of a kind of if you look at his game log. You know, it's like, hang on, if I go to CFB stats, like he went first half of the season, his completion percentages. I'm going to drop the decimal, but 45, 50, 44, 57. Okay, 72 against Ole Miss, 55, 50, 57, 51, and that's Bama. And then all of a sudden, 71, 71, 65. Um, you look at his average yards. But how much of that, like, to me, what I see in that is when he played a terrible passing defense, he had a yeah, good game. I agree with that. I agree, I agree. He played Arkansas, Rice, and Ole Miss. But you know what? Did Brandon Harris ever light up Ole Miss or Rice? Like, yeah. We go to, you know, like, did, was he throwing for 70% and, you know, 10%? Because I think he was still struggling against those teams. Harris I mean, torched he, Ole Miss one year. Like, you know, hang on. We go to. Was it 2015? 2015, we'll go to a Brandon Harris, you know, by the... Not 2015, maybe 2016. One of these years, he had a huge game against Ole Miss, I thought. Yeah, you know, it's 2016, he barely played, so we'll go to... Um, maybe it's a different game, I'm thinking. 2015, yeah, 2015. Yeah, yeah he, he was 51%. You know, you know, you know he, he, uh, um, he torched Auburn. He went 70%, but he only threw 17 passes. He went 68% against Florida, but again, through 19. But he did torch Florida. But then 51% against, you know, Ole Miss. Yeah, the completion percentage is bad. I was remembering that he had a lot of passing yards. Yeah, he, you know, he, he did get 286 against Western Kentucky. 
He got 324 against Ole Miss. And that was his only 300-yard game. Also, they didn't let him pass much. They didn't show any confidence in him, aside from Ole Miss where he had 51 pass attempts. <laughs> but, I mean, they were always keeping him at, like, 20, 25 passes. Like, on the flip side, Burrow, they've kind of handed him the keys of the offense. They're letting him – they're letting him throw. I mean, you, you kind of have to throw out this last game because, you know, whatever. But he's still throwing near 30 passes a game. You know, ever since Florida, he went, you know, since Florida, he's gone 34, 30, 28, 35, 21, 28, 38. So only once did he really have, and that was against Arkansas, did he really have a put him on the shelf kind of game. And, you know, Arkansas, we were trying to run out the clock from the opening quarter. That's true. It was also the only game where a running game showed up. But Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how... I mean, I think before we were recording, there was rumors today that Ensminger's going to step down. I don't... I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Yeah. I, I don't want to rule it out, because I, I, I think... I think people have been too, oh, they would never let Ensminger, you know, sit down because Orgeron's too stuck in his ways. And the one thing we've seen about Orgeron's tenure so far is that he's not really st- stuck in his ways. Um, that said, I don't think it's guaranteed he's going to step down. De- I didn't think it was ever guaranteed he was going to step down. And the rumors are probably just people starting rumors. Um, but I don't, at the same time, even though I don't believe the rumors at this point, I don't believe there is no chance that Orgeron doesn't sit down with Steve Ensminger and say, hey, why don't you quietly step down and retire? Uh, I've, I've never ruled that out as a possibility because Edo can read a paper. I mean, he can talk about it. Now, he is, he is attuned to criticism. How about that? Yeah, that's fair. I, I just mean, – I mean – I what interests me is what do they think? Okay, easily they can sit down and look at the offense and say it underperformed this year. There's no way that yeah. they would anybody right. in that building thinks otherwise. Yes, I agree. So with that. I'm curious what do they think is the reason? And I don't think that they think it's Ensminger. No, I agree with that. And I'm not even sure the reason is Ensminger. So yeah, and I, I wrote an article, I mean a week or two ago, arguing that point. And I think that's fair. I mean, I don't think the problem is Ensminger per se. I mean, some of it is. I mean, I really do think this is a. I, it's you even pointed out in the, in the article. You get a brand new quarterback, essentially a new offensive line, and they're bringing back all new production on you know running back and wide receiver. I, he was starting from scratch. That's I mean, a tall task a, for any offensive coordinator. Yeah, even a great offensive coordinator would have had problems, and then the offensive line was just a horror show for the first half of the season as far as health is concerned. The second half, they don't have as much of an excuse. Um, but I do think – so I think part of it is just youth. I, I mean, I, there was just – there was no – there was no rock. Like even – on a bad offense, you could, you know, the last couple of years, you could always say, you know, it's Geis, it's Fournette, you know, that's, you know, Jeremy Hill. He's, you know, this is the bell cow of the offense. And there hasn't been that guy that, you know, hey, this is who we all look to. And I think kind of jo- Justin Jefferson stepped up into that role. 
Um, he, he got the drops a little bit this year. I think the guy, I mean, it, it, it's, it was Burrow, really. Yeah, yeah, and Burrow. And, of course, Burrow acted like QB1 in a way we haven't had since Mettenberger. Yeah, but it's that's part of the issue, you know, is like Burrow is to be the guy, and he is new to the program, came in the summer, and he's yeah. never played college football before, really. So there's a lot of things going against him, just pure objective fact. You know, it's not like uh, not everyone that shows up and starts playing is Dwayne Haskins, you know? Yeah. And also, like, there's also being in a position to succeed. He he could have succeeded a lot better had he gotten behind a veteran offensive line, a loaded receiving core and you know Darius Geis still in the backfield but he didn't walk into that situation yeah there were a lot of pieces to pick up so yeah and they kind of figured it out as it went along this I mean yeah LSU is the kind of program that can't afford to say they're having a rebuilding year but that's what this year was going into it like this was a year where this team was trying to rebuild itself the problem is is that you know, A, LSU doesn't get rebuilding years. And second, you don't really want to squander this defense, which never quite became as good as I thought it could be. No, that's like the uh, under-talked point. Yeah. It was like, a very good defense for sure. Like most teams in the nation would be happy to have it. Just This defense had the raw tools to be great. I think part of it is losing Chase on before the yes. season started. I 100% uh, agree. I think that, you know, plays a role. But still, even without him, this this could have been a legit great defense. And instead, it's a good defense. Now, it feels weird to criticize the defense, considering they were definitely the better unit. But they also had more talent and more experience. You know, they were returning the star players. Yeah. So... I think it's fair. It was fair to hold them to a higher standard. Now, I think we should hold the offense to a higher standard next year because they're going to be the experienced, talented unit next year, as is the defense. The defense is also still going to likely be pretty damn loaded, um, particularly a linebacker. That's definitely true. I mean, I think we both of us have echoed this on Twitter and probably in pieces too. Just this year is not a disappointment. It's. Honestly, they probably overachieved. Yeah. Um, But my question to you is, like, let's say that somehow Ensminger this season just put together, like, a top 40 offense, but the defense was, like, in the 60s, and LSU somehow wound up with the same exact record. What's the reaction Uh, then? I mean, I think part of the frustration is it feels like we're playing the same LSU season again, you know? It it does, but the thing is, and I know on the one hand, and I I do harp on this because the reason I didn't like the Orgeron hiring in the first place is I wanted to close the book on the Miles era and move on, and I'm doing it anyway. Like, Orgeron doesn't get the bill for for everything that happened under the Miles era. It's just... First off, it's not fair, but secondly, it's just tedious, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, so I, I do understand, but I do understand where people are coming from. It's like we're so used to just bad offenses and and a great defense, and come on, people. 
But I would also say this hasn't been the same team because I do think the offense looked a lot different. How we played games were different, but also I think last year's nine wins was kind of illusory. LSU played a terrible schedule last year, at least by LSU standards. And they basically won nine games because they pulled off one upset and then didn't play anybody. You know, no offense to everyone on the schedule, but like it was kind of a function of schedule. This year, I think LSU played about as hard of a schedule as you can play in the SEC by getting both the Florida and Georgia draw, who are now both going to go to New York's New Year's Six Bowls. And they still got the same nine wins. I think this nine wins is an improvement. This is a better nine wins than the previous year's nine wins. Um, I know that that sounds like it's splitting hairs, but I do feel like it's an improvement. And also I feel like the offense, while it wasn't as good this year, actually showed that we had a – hey, we, we developed a quarterback. And that's something to build on for next year. I feel confident going the next year that we have someone who can throw the ball. And that's something we haven't had really since Mettenberger. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the type of work Burrow puts in. I mean, I think he's a few ticks away from being very, very good. Yeah. But I mean, look, I mean, like Seth posted an article on the site today that's... Yeah. Oof. You say the offense looks different, but... It, it, it looks different on um, on the surface, I guess. Well, yeah, but also, like, how many... We're actually having three wide receiver looks, which I know sounds, you know, that gets us to the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> we did improve pace of play, which was always a bone I had with Miles. It's like, God yeah, damn, it's a, it's miserable to watch this. We, we really did change pace of play. And also, I do think LSU played a game where we raced out in front and then we held on the lead in the second half the entire way, which kind of goes back to Miles' ball of being conservative. But at least they were defending double-digit leads. Like, uh, I, I, it's hard to blame them for not having a killer instinct when I think they know the talent in the room and they know what the skill is. You know, get up and then just leave it in the defense's hands because that's your better unit. Yeah. Um, but I also do think there's an element of conservatism to, to Orgeron that's still there. And he needs... This team needs to find that 2007 2011 killer instinct where they just keep stomping on you and stomping on you and stomping on you and this team doesn't quite have it they 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 weren't quite as much as bad at Miles teams towards the end of letting teams up off the mat but they still they still put you in a sleeper hold and they're not trying to score more points they're trying to run out the clock yeah, I mean, I, I I'm at a point where I can say, I I get your argument. You know, like he doesn't get to serve the, he doesn't get to pay the bill for everything Miles did, and that's a, a very valid argument. I can understand why there's a ton of fatigue about this because oh, I agree with that. It's painful to watch, but I also think you can look at this season and how the offense performed. And find it strategically defensible. Like, <laughs> we did not have a quarterback depth. It, I yeah. hit on this earlier. Like, the offense ran better when Burrow could run. But when you don't have a backup, you can't run Burrow all the time. Because you can't af- afford for him to go out. Last game of the year? Okay. If he goes yeah. out, he goes out. But 
And then that's one the reason. And, uh, and the other the things, offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line was bad. Their skill guys were young and unproven and learning how to play college football for the most part. So it makes sense to be a more conservative team in those situations. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I, I do. I 100% agree with that. I think I, I once again, Ensminger is getting a bill. I think given the tools he had, he ran the right offense. The problem is, is that. He's also getting the bill for the past 10 years. Yeah, it's not the answer anybody wants because you wanted LSU to come out and throw it 70 times and put up 150 points a game. But this staff, number one, should be interested in winning football games. And I think they did the things that they thought would win them the most games. And I think they made the right decision. I I think they did. And look, it, it took hellaciously bad luck for them not to win 10 games. Yeah. And so... Look, at the end of the day, you are what your record is. So this, it's a nine-win team right now. But that said, I think they, they put themselves in the best position they could to win ten games. And that's what you got to ask out of your coaching staff. And, but also, I think what they really did is they built a team that should be better next year. Like, I don't want to see everything they did this year was with an eye to the future. But they did a lot of things this year with an eye to next year. Yeah, you, you go back to the preseason and you think about the uh, in the famous press conference where they asked, oh, if he thought his team was better than everyone else. And he said, kind of wry, you know, yes, I do, basically. Yeah. And he was right. You know, he, he knew that he had more talent than he was being given credit for. But I bet if you asked him behind the scenes what he thought this team was, it's probably something like we got. Yeah, I, I think he thought it was an eight nine win team. Yeah, and, and you know, like you know, if things break right, and what I did like about this team is that I, I think it was very Danny Etling esque. Is that so? I think a lot of players did get the most out of their talent. I mean, I after I've ripped on them, Nick, Nick Brissett and you know Clyde Edwards Relaire got the most out of themselves this year. They they really pushed themselves. They produced. You know they came through, and that you know that was that was huge for this team. They, they needed that, um, and also I, I think this team started to show leadership. Um, there's just a different mentality with the team. I, I think, um, you know, the, the Rashard Lawrence coming off the game in A and M. I know, you know, I know we lost that game, but that was a guy who cared. And there's kind of been a thing around the program. I don't think guys before didn't care. But I do think they were – it was it was NFL finishing school. Yeah, Miles got us too deep into the come to the come to LSU, we'll put you in the league, which is a great recruiting tactic, but it can't be your only message. Yeah, and look, and guys – and they still love that. Like, I think Jamal Adams loves LSU. No doubt. But he was – you know, towards the end of his career, he was, he was planning his exit. Like, everything he did – it was about Jamal Adams, so he could you know be a first round draft pick, which he was. Now part of that means he had to ball out, so you know, <laughs> good for him. But I think a guy like Devin White, I think in a way cares more about the program. And, and Devin White's just an incredible football player, but also he's just a guy who's he's got that unquantifiable thing about him, the way he carries himself, just the way he talks. He's just 
I, I can't even I don't even know what I'm going for but it, it's just like he is such a program guy he, he feels like you know he's got the spirit of a walk-on and the body of an all-american yeah and we haven't really had a guy like that really you know say what you will but since the honey badger you know because Toran Matthew you know lived and died for LSU that's true yeah I mean I think I think there are a, we got into like a minor like debate about building blocks and I I could be compelled either way I can see why people will feel fatigued and feel that they don't trust Ogeron, that they don't... I mean, I think he has given us reasons to not. It's not a good look to fire your offensive coordinator and then hire your buddy, basically. Yeah, I agree with that. So that builds a a sense of mistrust where you're like, whoa, 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 you said best coordinators in the country, and now we got this dude that no one wanted? Like, what the fuck? I agree with that. that but I also, the, like I said a minute ago, I think you can look at the flip side and strategically defend some of the choices this year. And so I'm willing to give them that benefit of the doubt and say, all right, 2019, you no longer get that leverage because now you have seniority, you have experience, you have pieces. So you don't get to buy. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think he has, if you look, he has completely turned over this roster. Come 2019, there's almost going to be no one left on this team who you could call a Miles player. Yeah. I mean, there'll I mean, still be seniors on the team that you know were recruited by Miles, but not many. And not many are going to be big-time you know, big producers. And, unless Devin White comes back, <laughs> this is going to be an Ed Orgeron team. And he has, he has done some serious roster churn. And I think some of it was unnecessary, but at the same time, he was building a program. He believed it. And to give credit, he did this massive roster churn without really sacrificing wins. So I'm I'm willing to give him more leeway because he's won while doing it his, you know, building a team in his image. The thing is, is 2019, it's your image and you have no excuses. Yeah. You know, next next year's roster is going to be very talented. It's going to be very deep. And while this year I'm willing to say, hey, look, it was a really tough schedule going. That was another thing that you know we haven't really harped on. This year's schedule was a monster. Um, he had a lot of young players. He had to rebuild his offense. You get all those passes because you still won. Like the pass he gets, if he had gone six and six, I wouldn't give him a pass. I'm giving him a pass because he went nine and three. Um, but next year nine and three, I don't think cuts it. Yeah, and I think it's it's it is that accumulation of we've only seen two years of him really in control, and then if you think back to like Miles getting fired, twenty fourteen, you have young Fournette, young Harris. Yeah. We're not even really playing Harris because we're still playing Anthony Jennings. Okay, let's give him a pass. They're young. Twenty fifteen, yeah, you know, it's like okay, still young, still gonna give him a pass. 2016, 2016, you're starting to get tired of it, you know? 20, no, 2016 was the year. I, yeah. I mean, there's a reason that's why, you know, that's when Miles got fired. I, I mean, because 2016, which I, I will go down as one of the most disappointing years of LSU football. I, I mean, and they still had a pretty good record, but that team 
talent-wise, the 2016 team is better than almost any team we've ever had. I will, you know, I will put that roster up against just about any roster in LSU history. And they even performed well. They just lost literally every close game. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things, if you played the season a thousand times, this was the one time things went that poorly. Um, 2019 is going to be another one of those kind of teams. Yeah. Particularly, particularly if Devin White comes back. <laughs> Don't even entertain it. De- Devin White's not coming back. Um, though I... I know Greedy's not coming back. He, you know, there's not a chance in hell. I would at least put Devin White. There is a ten percent chance he comes back, maybe five, where I think he would actually consider it before he looked at all. But it's easier to say how much you want to come back until you see the money you put in front of you. Yeah. I just want. I mean, I think one thing O can do to add confidence to his resume to bring back some people is to keep these guys that are fringe NFL prospects from going pro. Yeah. yeah, because, look, the defensive linemen, this is one of the most loaded defensive line classes in NFL draft history. The Clemson line alone. <laughs> I mean, I think all four of them are, are going to be in the draft. Uh, I don't know. Because uh, so many of them came back. I, I think it's yeah. almost the entire um, you also have some of those guys from Alabama, but also Mississippi State, Simmons and Sweet are coming out. Yeah, you got the uh, the other Bosa brother. Yeah, you, yeah, the other Bo- you have At Oliver coming out of Houston. Yep. I mean, this is a ridiculously loaded class of defensive linemen. This is a terrible year to be a pretty good defensive lineman and be thinking about the NFL draft. I think Alexander might go just because he has injury problems and your clock's ticking. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd be the one that's most likely to go. Um, but, like, I, I look, they should do their due diligence and stuff, but if you're Fahoko or Rashard Lawrence, you're probably going to get a third or fourth round grade at best. And in this draft, you'd probably be a fourth or fifth rounder instead. Whatever grade you get, you should probably bump back around if you're a defensive lineman. And I know Fulton might get like a third-round grade or something. I'm just trying to guess, but he doesn't have a full year of tape. They still can negatively um, recruit against him by talking about his you know, his drug problem and stuff. I think he needs another year, and he could be a first-round pick. I mean, that that's actual real money. I think it's true for just about all of those guys. Like I, yeah, I think full. I think Fahoko and Lawrence can be first round picks as well. And Divinity too. I think Divinity has that. Yeah, I hadn't even considered Divinity leaving early. Yeah, it scares me just because he's eligible. He has a lot of talent, and he yeah. hasn't maximized it. So, you know, agent gets in his ear. Hey, kid, you got upside. He's probably yeah. going to test well. Yeah, and I, but I think. Ed has made more of a point of trying to recruit guys. I think he's talked about it all year. Like he's laid the groundwork. And I think last year kind of helps his case. He's like, look, if you're a first or second round pick, go. You know, no one at no one at LSU is complaining about Darius Geis leaving early. You know, there's not one LSU fan who is like, oh man, he should have stayed. Yeah. Even with the knee injury. 
it's those late round guys. You know, those guys who declare just like, what are you doing, man? You know, you're costing yourself, you know, potentially millions of dollars by leaving too early. And with more and more players declaring for the draft, your chances of getting drafted keep going down. Yeah. So I, I have confidence that Orgeron has – because it, it, he, he's not starting the pitch now. He's been making a public plea to keep guys in school who should stay in school. He's been talking about it all year. So when he mentions it to a player, it doesn't seem like it's the first time. But at the same time, he can look at somebody like Greedy Williams and say, go pro. You know, we're not – I'm not here to tell every person they need to stay. I'm not putting the needs of the program ahead of your needs. You're a top 10 pick. God bless you. Yeah, he's not Nick Saban. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the key. You you can – there's a balance. And you need to kind of have the credibility to go to your players and say, I I mean, I do care about the program. I mean, it's my job as a steward of the program. But part of the reputation of my program is taking care of the players in it. And I have your interest at heart too. And when I tell you I don't think you're ready for the pros, I'm not saying that because I just want to milk another year of your talent. I'm saying that because I think I can make you better and get you a better draft position so we'll, we'll see if that that groundwork has worked because I know he's been laying it I just don't know and if anybody's going to come back for a senior year it would be a guy like Devin White I don't think he should just because linebacker he's so good but I will say even among professional athletes very few people in their 50s or 60s say I wish I had spent less time in college some people do but it's it's the one time in your life where the game will still be fun I mean it's still work at LSU but it can still be fun once you declare to the NFL draft it's all work yeah that's very true yeah and you know and more and more high-profile players have stayed for their senior year. It's not like there's not this stigma of, oh, he stayed for a senior year. He must not be very good. I'm just looking at a list of top NFL draft picks. I mean, I think White's case would be more compelling Yeah, to stay, to stay if... We can uh, improve you. Well, that and just like if there were other linebackers up ahead of him, sort sort of the anti why Lawrence and Fahoka yeah. should stay. Like, but he's legitimately projected to be like the first linebacker gone. So yeah, Devin Devin White is projected to be the number one linebacker. The only reason he would come back is that he really really likes being at LSU. Yeah, and he says, "Hey, I could be a millionaire next year." Um, so I, I think if you're his coach, you say, "Look, we'd love to have you. You're a great player." But I can, in good conscience, tell you you need to stay. Like if you want to go, you should go. But we, you know, the door is clearly open for you to stay. I, I don't think you put a full court press on a guy like that. It is wild the defensive line because you got Nick Bosa, Quinnen Williams, Ed Oliver, Rashawn Gary, Clellan Farrell, Josh Allen, who's an outside linebacker but also a defensive end, yeah. Jeffrey Simmons. Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence. 
It, it's ridiculous. That's just the top, yeah. and then Derek yeah. Brown from Auburn. That's the top 15. I think I named like eight guys. Yeah. Montez Dexter Sweat. Lawrence would be a top five pick, and, you know. Raekwon Davis, Drummond John, like these, this guy's top 31 prospects is literally half defensive line. line. And also that pushes it. It also would push everyone else later because normally the entire first round isn't going to be defensive linemen. So normally, like, the number six defensive lineman gets taken in the second round. Yeah. This year, since everybody's going to pick a defensive lineman early, they're not then in the second round and pick another defensive lineman. <laughs> it, it, it kind of pushes everybody back down. You could be waiting a long time. Yeah. The, I hope they take that advice. I mean, I... Yeah, I yeah, this is the... It would utterly gut the defense if those guys left. It would, but I think it's unlikely so many of them leave. Uh, I mean, I think someone will leave. There is going to be... An, I think other than White and Greedy, someone else is going to go. Um, I think they'll lose one or two more players on top of that. But I don't think it's going to just be a gutting, you know, every you know, a mass exodus. It is, yeah, and to counter my own point, it is encouraging, though, to see some of your depth pieces like Tyler, Tyler Shelvin, who we've been waiting on for a long time, and Jacoby Stevens, and even Divinity, who became a starter. But yeah, to see these guys emerge, because yeah, you're, I got, you're seeing your new wave of, of starters, basically. Yeah, next year, when, next year in linebacker, you're going to have Phillips, you're probably going to have Divinity back, and you're going to get Chase on back. And then you're gonna have Baskerville. Uh, I'm fine. And then we still have Queen. That's five guys who have. And Anthony comes back. So that's six guys right there. Who's just? I mean, this can be another reason Devin Wake can leave is the linebacking core so crowded. Jacob Phillips is already ready to be a star. Yes. So. <clears throat> yeah, and then you uh, you sign Marcel Brooks who. And Dante Starks, so you're going to add two more really, really good players in there. Yeah, the linebacking depth is absurd. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I would, I don't want to blame everything on ends bare on the offense, and I, I think you're right that, <clears throat> I mean, part of it was like he's just putting together something, you, you know, just and everything kind of got put on the back burner once the offensive line was terrible, <laughs> and a lot of the early season was just trying to keep things functioning. But I, my feelings would not be hurt if Ensminger were let go in a diplomatic way. I don't think you can fire him. No. He needs to step down for personal reasons or whatever. Um, which is entirely possible. Because like, you know, this is a guy who never really seemed like he wanted the job. Yeah. It's like he did it as a favor. Well, if you're going to go that route, he did it as a favor. You could honestly make a case that you could say, Ogeron looked at the field of offensive coordinators available last year, didn't see much that he loved, Mm -hmm. and looked at the roster and said, our offense is not going to be very good anyways. And said, why not let Ensminger take that bullet? Let's let Ensminger do it and be a teacher because I know he's good at that. Yeah. So we're going to teach these guys for a year. And then the next year we can go out and get Lane Kiffin. Yeah, whoever it is. Well, see, see, how I did the Lane Kiffin thing right there. Do you see? <laughs> as far as conspiracy theories go, it's not a, it's not that far fetched of one. 
look, Lane Kiffin more than anything wants to be a head coach at a major program. And he thought the route was Florida Atlantic. And after going five and seven last year, do you think he's looking for an escape hatch? <laughs> I, I say 0% chance on Lane Kiffin. I mean, it wasn't uh, too far-fetched to Owen, Owen Insminger reached some sort of agreement that he would take the bullet of. Yeah, no, I don't think they take the bullet, but I do think he was there to teach. Yeah. I think Insminger's job was to, this was a foundational year. Hey, let's get back to competency. And I think they did that. I, it didn't quite show up in the in the production, but this offense looks like it could do more things. It didn't specialize in anything, but we could actually throw the ball around. You know, you know, eight or nine receivers are involved in the offense. You know, we we could run the ball a little bit. Like it was just they did a little bit of everything. They didn't. They weren't great at anything. You know, they weren't even very good at anything. <laughs> but, but they, they certainly played offense. Yeah, but you know. But before, it was like we were terrible at passing the ball, you know, and there were just things that looked like the offense couldn't do. And for as much as, like, Canada was talked about, you know, being the guru, that was an offense that looked like it couldn't get out of its own way. Even when it worked, it didn't look like it was working. Yeah. And, and so I think there's there's something to be said for, hey, I'm going to get all these pieces together. And, look, Ensminger did perform well when he was pressed in the service the first time you know back in 2016 so we know he can do it you know he's not totally adverse to it but he's also not going to be on the cutting edge you know he's not cliff you know he's not coach bro yeah i don't i i doubt there's a change I think Jerry Sullivan will retire. They'll get a new wide receivers coach. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I don't think there'll be much other movement. Yeah, I, I don't think there'll be. I, I don't think you can, you know. I, also, I don't think it was Craig's fault. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, you know, I say like, everybody wants the offensive lineman's head, you know, O-line's coach. It's his first year. Oh, yeah, I don't blame him at all. And honestly, I think they did a pretty remarkable job given how bad things were at one point. Um, also, I, I think we forgot just how wretched the offensive line was last year. This year's actually an improvement. I mean, last year's offensive line at one point was almost non-functional. They started to improve as they got down the stretch, but and this year's unit didn't quite show that high end, but also, help is coming for the offensive line. You're going to have almost everybody comes back, so you'll have a ton of depth. You're bringing in a five-star recruit, and also your red shirts come off of some four-star recruits. So there should be more talent next year. Yeah, there's things to there's things to have hope for. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, but I don't. Also, I don't think it says hope in the kind of hey, I hope it gets better. I mean, there's an actual plan. Yeah, you know, you know, time. What is it? The future is not a plan; it's an inevitability. Um, but I, I do think there's a chance of an offensive coordinator change, but it has to be done in a very diplomatic way. So I don't think it's likely, but I do think it's possible. That's what I'll put in that. Yeah, just give up on your Cliff Kingsbury dreams now. It's yeah, not going to happen. Be Cliff. Yeah, yeah, that's it's not going to be Cliff. If it happens, it won't be him. That's all I'm saying. It's going to be Lane Kiffin. No. <laughs> <laughs>